Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of School of Startups. In today's episode, we'll be talking about managing hyper-growth marketing campaigns and how to manage international teams for B2B SaaS companies. Today, we have our guests, Elliot and Dom Chapman, joining us. Elliot and Dom are the co-founders of Social Chaps, a marketing agency described as a no-nonsense B2B agency focused on growing pioneering businesses by understanding them and helping them reach their goals to scale. Elliot and his brother Dom, after years of searching for a good marketing agency in the B2B space, they decided to roll up their sleeves and founded Social Chaps. So after three successful years of growth, they decided that the systems and processes they put into place are replicable, replicable across all types of B2B businesses, which we will discuss today. So welcome, Elliot and Dom. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Akio. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, awesome. yeah thank you. For our audience, can you share a quick background on your guys' startup experience and why you decided to build Social Chaps while looking for a marketing agency yourself? What was the story there? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll go first, Dom, and then uh, and then you can dive in because there's sort of two slightly different stories. Um, so I was running uh, an IT management consultancy. It was the family business. Uh, I'd been involved in that uh, for about three or four years at that point. And we were getting to a stage where, you know, decent sized, decent sized consultancy turning over between five and six million. Um, but we really wanted to break the 10 million a year mark. Uh, and to do that, we thought, right, let's bring in a, a marketing agency. Um, we went through two or three in the space of, of nine months. What I thought I, I wanted was more leads through the door. I knew that's what I wanted. What the marketing agency bought me were uh, a couple of nice LinkedIn, fluffy LinkedIn posts, um, and not a lot of engagement. And that's the, that's really my issue with, with sort of within that marketing space is when you generally tend to engage with, with marketeers, and this isn't all marketeers, but just my personal experience, there was a lot of fluff, um, and not a lot, not a lot of, of action. So, um, I sort of vented my frustration at spending 15,000 pounds, um, and not a lot in return to Don at a family barbecue over a beer and didn't really think much of it other than a mini counseling session. Um, Don was running his own startup at the, at the same time, which he'll, he'll sort of dive into. Got together a, a couple of months later and we were like, why don't we, why don't we just launch our own, our own marketing agency? Um, which isn't what it is today, but it was the sort of the first, the first birth of, of social chaps. So um, it was very much born out of frustration of, not getting what I wanted, um, or not getting what we wanted, and Dom had a had a pretty similar experience as well. Cool. Let's hear from you, Dom. What was your story? Yeah. So, so I I was sort of on the other end of it, where um, I launched a tech startup, um, had a little bit of funding, but definitely wasn't able to spend sort of fifteen thousand over three months. So I had to go for the sort of scrappy approach. Um, we worked with a few agencies and consultancies uh, as sort of individuals, um, sort of had a similar experience. They were pushing us down social media and LinkedIn and Instagram saying, this is what we need to do. So we did it, um, saw no results. Um, and then similar, similar, yeah, we we're both at the same barbecue having that conversation. <laughs> um, and we decided to sort of knock our heads together and start to build out our own processes and systems that we thought would work. Um, and that's where we both started to see results um, for our own, both separate businesses. 
Now, did you guys have experience running any campaigns before? Or did you say, hey, let's try it out on our own businesses? Uh, let's try out them. <laughs> hey, guys. I think it's the content. Did you, did you, yeah, I'm back. I did just, not sure what happened there. But did you, so did you guys have experience uh, running marketing campaigns? Or did you say, hey, let's try this out with our own company, see if it works? And then you guys had some results and you said, hey, let's start offering this. Or was it just like, let's, let's start selling this? Because if somebody else wants to get into the space, you know, maybe they want to run their own agency. I mean, I want to know that kind of story, how that happened. Yeah, so Dom's, uh, Dom's startup was very much the guinea pig. Okay. Um, the initial guinea pig where he was trying, you know, he was reporting back saying, I'm trying this, it's going well, or I'm trying this, and it's really not working. Um, we then started to use some of the techniques that were working within the IT management consultancy. So obviously a completely different space, completely different target audience. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it wasn't until we found success within both of the companies where we, did we start thinking, you know, we can actually, um, we can actually start doing something here. We could probably look to launch our own, our own agency. Um, right. The intention was to never get it to the size that we are now. In mm -hmm. fact, we were boldly making claims within the first month of starting the company, having one, two clients in one month, we're making bold claims saying that we would never ever have any more employees, um, which is the biggest load of BS we've ever sort of <laughs> spurted out, which yeah. 18, months, 18 months sort of down the line, we would not be where we are without our employees and without our staff. But um, but yeah, it was very much tried and tested within the two the two separate companies. Um, Don would be constantly trialing new bits of tech, new bits of automation, processes, little things that, that wouldn't work or would work. And then we would look to go and roll them out um, nice. with the IT management consultancy. Yeah, if you can uh, figure out uh, how to scale a marketing agency with zero employees, please let me know. I'd love to hear that story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one out. <laughs> Haven't figured that out yet. Okay. Nah. Um, so, what is the the data driven approach your your team uses? So, you speak with you know you, I know you work with B two B startups. Uh, I want to hear more about like what what is the methodology you guys use? What are the analytics you guys are using? What are the software you recommend? Or any growth marketing ta tactics that social saps social cha uh, chaps that differentiates them from the other agency and, and actually drives quality leads that you weren't able to get. Do you want me to tell um, so I guess in terms of the, the data driven approach, um, well, I'll start with the other question, which is what would I recommend in terms of software and tools uh, and where to start? I think, okay. um, if you're a, um, a B2B SaaS platform or, or a company, um, LinkedIn is definitely the place to start. Um, in terms of how we've built out our process and systems, we, um, we actually decided to build our own sort of uh, LinkedIn automation platform, um, which is called Prosper. Um, and the data gets pulled across from a multitude of sources and directly pushes into Prosper. Um, but if you're looking out there and trying to, to find initial sources, LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a great place to start um, if you're not sort of savvy with it. Um, Crunchbase is also a good place to start. If if you're getting sold on things where they're trying to offer you 500 to 1,000 a month for data, I would stay away from that. Um, mm -hmm. We still, you know, we've tried a few of them and the, the quality of the data you can find there versus just going straight to Sales Navigator and Crunchbase, um, you know, you can just go there for 70 pounds a month. So I would start there um, and that's where we build out all our data sources or, or the majority. 
So from, from LinkedIn, uh, you can obviously get first name, email, company, all, all the specifics and build out those data sources. Um, and then with what we have is we can push them into uh, LinkedIn email campaigns, which are scalable. Um, so once you get your copyright, you get your data right, um, and you start getting positive responses, um, all you need to do is just add more data into that and it scales up. Um, so that's that's where I would start if you're trying to get in the room with the right people um, is, you know, LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn and email, finding a couple of uh, LinkedIn automation tools. Obviously you can use Prosper um, or, you know, there's a couple more out there on the market, but I would be wary um, not to get blocked. Um, mm. So don't go too hard too soon. Okay. Yeah. I haven't heard of Prosper. I'll have to check that. I was at prosper.com. No, uh, we we haven't even got um, a domain. We just it's just a little tab in our website, um, just called Prosper. We we very much soft launched it. We launched it because of um, everything that's happened. It was sort of mm -hmm. part of our managed service, and then um, we were working with a lot a lot of founders, and they couldn't quite afford that package. So we decided to just say, look, use it yourself. Um, and here's all the methodology on how to do sales. Um, cool. That's kind of how that happened. Nice. Yeah, we use uh, WeConnect, so I'll have to check that out and see if it, okay. if it, if it helps. Yeah. Um, so I know you guys can control the messaging, you can control the lead, kind of uh, the outreach, the, the volume of your leads. But there's one side of the equation, which is, uh, you know, product market fit of the of this, the company you're working with. Um, you know, founders coming to you, they say we want to scale or grow without, maybe they're not very clear on who their ideal customer profile is, or they still haven't found product market fit. How do you guys work with the founders to actually make sure they're ready to scale and you're not wasting their, their time or it won't actually lead to proper results. All their money. Just all their money. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Making sure they're not wasting all their money. Mm. Um, so going back to that sort of, uh, that data driven approach, mm -hmm. once you've, once you've been running a campaign for, you know, for a month, if they don't know who their, who their target audience are, um, or where their product is, is going to fit, it's very much, looking at a potential split test or spitting a number of different audiences with a number of different messages or sequences and then letting the data and letting the you know the actual results do the talking it's as soon as you start getting data and looking at the data driven results mm -hmm. it's going to be very very clear if you're if it's even a fit um or where your product is going to fit who are the people that are genuinely interested in um to be honest with you there's not many of, of the clients that we actually tend to engage with that don't understand who their product or who their target audience is. Um, for us, particularly if you're going to be spending the money with us, you need to have that, you need to have that customer persona already ironed out. The ones where, or the clients rather that have said, listen, we get the risk. We, we appreciate that there's going to be an outlier cost working with you guys, but it's very much, we're going to be working with you to understand who, who our target audience is that has worked but it's not the most cost-effective way of, way of doing it. You can do that yourself. You know, the recommendation would be spend two, three months mm -hmm. getting up to speed and figuring out who your audience is. You can do a lot of the outreach yourself, even if it is manual. You know, mm -hmm. there's cheap tools on the market. If, if you don't want to use Prosper, there's cheap, there are really cheap tools on the market that you can use to start testing out who that audience looks like. Feed everything back into a CRM and look at the, look at the types of companies that want to speak to you. And then it's very simple. You just double down on those those companies that that actually want to engage with you and want to engage with your product. 
Got it. So you, when you guys are kicking off a lead generation campaign, normally you, you suggest LinkedIn and email outreach. Is there any other scalable cha channels you suggest? Or would you say those are the, the ones? Yeah, it, it very much depends on um, on the type of product, the type of service. I know, Dom, you were going to sort of jump in there. Um, it's very much what it is you're selling. What's your product? Is it a B2B product? Is it a B2C yeah. product? It completely depends on on what it is you're looking to sell. Don, did you want to jump in? Yeah. Um, as well as that, it's also how, how your sale is. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, within the SaaS game, there's sort of lower lower end of SaaS where you've got self sign up and mm -hmm. uh, that side of it. And then obviously the enterprise stuff. Um, yeah. I think with the, the self sign up and pushing people through a process, you can definitely look at um, Facebook and it, you know, Facebook advertising and social advertising, that does work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would potentially do that as a second phase once you've got um, LinkedIn working. The beauty of um, going through LinkedIn and email first is the feedback you get is sort of literal. Um, mm -hmm. They're going to tell you why they're not interested um, or they're going to tell you to, you know, go away. But mm -hmm. What you want is people to say, look, I'm not interested for this, these three reasons, for example. Um, and then that gives you iterative feedback on how to improve your campaigns. Once you've got all that, say three, six months in, you can then take that copy, take all that feedback and then push it into um, advertising campaigns and, you know, get an effective ad spend. Mm -hmm. So uh, from my understanding, I think you need to have a certain uh, LTV value to make it worthwhile to go uh, towards using LinkedIn, is that correct? Do you guys have a certain threshold you, you like to work with? And then does it also work for enterprise as well? And are you guys working with that? So two questions there. Yeah. Um, so LTV, yeah. If you're looking at a, a lower cost sale, mm -hmm. um, then LinkedIn, can, LinkedIn use, certainly using things that are, are scalable, it's probably not the best route to, to go down. Um, yeah. If you're looking at slightly higher tickets, and that could be anything from 500 bucks upwards, then you're going to look to get your, your return on that investment pretty quickly. Um, mm. So it also depends on what your sales cycle looks like, which normally coincides with the deal value. Um, so for example, if you're, if you're looking at a deal size of around about 100,000, for example, then you know that, that that sales cycle is going to be around about six months, typically, mm. if you're looking to sell into those enterprises. Therefore, you know you've got to have a runway a, you know, a decent runway of probably $10,000 to, to actually spend on this to get to start to see value. Um, so yeah, absolutely. There needs to be some form of, it is certainly, I wouldn't say it's high, high ticket, mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly not, you know, into the $10, $20. You need to be having a, a ticket size of a, a minimum of $500, I would say. 500 yeah. Yeah. And it's also setting that expectation. If it is a lower ticket, you're going to get a higher number of meetings. Um, and then obviously with the enterprise stuff, you're going to get a lower number of meetings, but you've got to invest that time afterwards to make sure you continue to nurture them and, and close them over a, a longer period. Makes sense. Um, so speaking of, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to elaborate on the, on the enterprise stuff. Um, that is, that is definitely, um, a space that, that we're operating in. Um, there's a, a small number of clients that we do operate in. Uh, or operate with rather and again they are much longer sales cycles um a lot of it is is largely regulatory as well um so geared around you know certain i can do this or i can't do can't do that for example within certain markets 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there is without question a space for enterprise sales on LinkedIn, um, without question. Mm. And are you guys only focusing on uh, UK and the US? Because I've heard of other uh, you know, startups interested in this, you know, for example, say in Brazil or Mexico, but I think there just isn't enough of a market of people active on LinkedIn. It's not as, a, yeah, it's, it's not as active as other countries, right? Yeah, um, so we are, we're Europe and, and US. Europe and US, yeah. there's been there's been, I'd say, a small number of conversations with with South America, mm. um, but you're right. There's not as many people on on LinkedIn within South America, South America, for example, or potentially Asia, some some Asian markets. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly the companies that we spoke to in Mexico, the price point, you know, mm. just the the economics of scale, it just doesn't fit for them. You know, the Got economy it. is is obviously much smaller in South America than it is in Europe or the US, for example, or North America. And therefore, right. for us to, we just, we're just not mature enough to be able to go in and go, right, we can scale this right back and open it up to a, to a market or an economy like that. We're just not mature enough to do that. Um, and then there's, there's also issues around the language. Um, you know, we are to deliver our service. Right now, the, the core language is in English. Mm-hmm. Um, we've obviously mm-hmm. outsourced um, a couple of things in, in Italian to an Italian freelancer. We've got a Spanish speaker within within our realms mm-hmm. but for us to go and win 10 clients out in um out in mexico for example we just wouldn't be able to to deliver that we would need yeah. a, a bit of a runway so it's also being really realistic about what where we want to be as a business makes sense australia is an interesting space uh we tried to um we tried to enter that market but the time difference we just couldn't handle it um but it, there's definitely interest in australia and we did get a couple of Australian clients. Um, so that is a market that this would work in as well or and does work in. Mm. So you guys are okay with the, the, the Pacific time to Europe? You're still able to manage that okay? Wow. Um, <laughs> Barely, <laughs> I late nights. I wouldn't say manage it okay. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was difficult. Um, yeah. it, was, it was difficult. And at the time, mm. you know, I think there was, it was literally just the European team at the mm. time, I think we had one guy out on the east coast of the U.S. at the time as well. Mm-hmm. So the delivery, the delivery worked to a degree, but again, mm-hmm. we just weren't the, the the team and the infrastructure wasn't mature enough mm. um, to deliver that service to a very very high standard. We've now got a team that sits across both the east coast and west coast of of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to scale back on the on the Australian focus purely from a delivery perspective. You know, yes, mm. there's a big market there, but there's also a huge market in in Europe and and the US. Mm. So, as a business, after about six weeks of you know giving it a good look at it, and Dom and I probably sleeping about four or five hours a night, <laughs> we decided decided to scale back. And there is a big enough market in the US and and in Europe for us to you know still be able to grow at a you know an exponential rate that we are right now. Makes sense. Um, so I know, I know like, hyper growth is kind of a, a, an area you guys focus on, you know, growing startups want to come to you and say, hey, we want to grow 40, 50 percent year over year. Um, that's kind of the goal. Um, one issue and risk I've heard from other agencies doing kind of similar to what you guys are doing is uh, the sales team not being able to ma- effectively manage the leads um, or they don't have the right system and process in place to be able to handle. So, I mean, you guys can do your job, give them the best leads, but, you know, they can easily you know, screw them up. Um, so how do you guys work with the sales team to ensure that the business actually hits their goals, they're managing the leads effectively, and they're actually closing on the deals, the leads that you guys provide to them? That's a good question. Dom, that's got you written all over it. 
<laughs> yeah, so I think there's two elements with with our service and, and when you um, sort of work with social chats, we'll help build out um, a CRM and that um, initial process as a starting point. So a lot of the sort of startups and the companies who, who work with us in that sort of area, they don't even have a CRM. They're using a spreadsheet or, or an Excel sheet, um, whereas we implement um, a CRM. So we're a certified partner of HubSpot, mm -hmm. um, which means we know it in and out, and we've scaled up multiple um, HubSpot CRMs. Um, so we teach them how to do it, and everything runs through HubSpot. Mm -hmm. That allows them to sort of get sticky with it, um, and we push them to actually use that past when we give them uh, a meeting or book them a meeting um, and sort of we train them on that. That's sort of the first element, which is the system side of it. Um, I think where the other side of it is where L and the sales team come in and sort of we do a full circle where we actually support and train the, that sales team to make sure that they are closing those deals. Okay. Um, you know, we get them to record record all those sales calls, we'll analyze them and we'll almost audit them um, and try and get them into a place, you know, help them with a script, um, help, them, help them with everything they need to actually close those deals. Because eventually if, if they're not closing, then we're not going to be a, uh, you know, a partner with them long term. That, that's actually huge. Yeah. I mean, if you guys are actually helping them on the sales side to actually help them close their deals, which, you know, their sales manager, their founder should be doing. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's huge value. So that's different than the other guys where you're just giving the marketing and the lead. So I mean, we, we realized pretty quickly that, um, yes, we can, we can deliver them leads, but ultimately if people aren't knocking over the leads and it, they're not converting into business, then mm. they're, they're not going to stick around for long. You know, we could give somebody exactly. 200 leads over a three month period and not close a single one. And yet the service isn't a failure, Yes, but the relationship will fall apart. So, yeah. Um, at the top of the relationship, when we when we get going, we make sure, as Dom was saying, there is some form of process in place. We've, we've also written um, the sales methodology that we use. We give that to them. Um, so we say, hey, listen, we know we know you're doing this. This is just out of interest. This is what we this is what we do. This is how we do everything from an automated perspective. From how do you record the calls? How do you then give feedback on those calls? How does everything then funnel into the into the CRM? How do you track things through a certain phase? How do you get one deal who's not going anywhere? How do you then convert that into a into a sale? So we give them that that sales methodology um, to help them to help them with that at the top of the relationship, on top of the consultancy as well. Nice. Um, is there any differences you guys are, are providing or, or prioritizing your marketing spend or uh, campaigns based on whether they're you know regular you know growth companies or hyper growth startups? If there's any. I it definitely um, is dependent on um, how their sales team is structured. Uh, mm. There's a couple of different things to think about the sales team, their LTV. You know how much um, they're going to make on a close, um, how much they can handle in terms of bandwidth. So, for example, mm. if it's just the founder um, mm. and it's a higher LTV, then we would focus on we would focus on LinkedIn um as a as a focus point and with that the the team can qualify those uh, meetings more to make sure every call that they're on is a meaningful call and more likely to to close if they've got three four sales guys we're probably going to put 
distribute that ad spend that, that spend more evenly with advertising, LinkedIn, email, um, and a couple of other channels. Um, so that you know, one we're yeah, um, and with an ad spend, you know, you're going to get a lot more leads, but it's going to take more time to actually qualify them and get them on a call. Um, so yeah, it very much depends. So I don't know if that answered the question or not. No, no, it does. So if, if I'm a if I'm a founder, if I'm a marketer, um, I'm I'm looking to start with this. Let's say I've already have another channel working, whether it's social, organically, but I want to start using LinkedIn, maybe plus cold email outreach campaigns to generate leads for my B two B company. Um, I have ideal customer profile. I, I know my LTV. Um, can you share some steps that they can use to get started? So they have the tool you mentioned, Prosper. Um, anything else to to help them get started? Yes. Um, so go directly into Sales Navigator, get a, mm -hmm. get a free one month, <clears throat> build out your data set there. Um, and then with most tools like Prosper or DuckSoup or any of the others, um, you can you should be able to pull that data directly across. Mm -hmm. um, if you can't, then um, find another tool because you should be able to. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. What you're then going to do is build out an automated campaign, so connecting. Um, and then sending, you know, targeted copy to those guys. Um, I'd make sure it's not too long and not spammy. So really trying to engage in conversation versus just selling straight up. Um, so offering some value and actually trying to engage in conversation. The key thing is how you manage all those responses and scale that up. That's the bit that people don't get right. Um, so what Prosper has is a direct integration into HubSpot. So every new um, person who responds creates a new deal in HubSpot and then we manage it and push them through a workflow. So have your workflow sort of sorted, which is like someone replies, it's a positive reply, we're gonna get them in for a meeting, they're interested, we're gonna close them. So have that workflow sorted um, in HubSpot or, or another CRM and sort of push people through that. Um, and then obviously, the conversation is on LinkedIn or email. Once you've got that and you've got that working, you can get a little administrator for that. You can just scale that right up. So you can add mm -hmm. multiple LinkedIn profiles, multiple emails, all that sort of stuff. And are you uh, uh, personalizing each email or do you have kind of a, a generic one for you know one single, say, you know, VP of marketing that you use for connecting? Um, or do you do without a message on the connection one? And then on this first one, once they do accept your message, I know that one's pretty critical to, to actually getting to a next step. Um, what do you suggest on that one to, to, to get to a meeting? Do you want to take that one out? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I would, I would build the campaigns um, targeted to, as you said, the... Um, type of person you're focusing on and also industry if you can you can then personalize the copy around that um sorry what's the second half of the question uh so uh what like do you do you include a message in that first connection one do you recommend that i would just split test it um, it's very dependent on the type of customer so if you've got a very direct offering where it's going to be an easy sell so for example we've got a client who does a commission only model Mm -hmm. It's an easy sell, which is, I have a commission-only model. Are you interested in having a chat? Once they accept, instant follow-up, and then it's normally a conversation. If it's going to be a slightly harder and longer sale, then I would not have a, a connection message and then 
probably focus on once they've accepted sort of bringing that into the portfolio it, it does depend on the type of sale as well you know if you if you're looking to let's say enterprise sales for example where you know it's going to be a six-month sale it's pointless going in with a you know an out and out connector message where you're you're not even going to get past the first door you've got mm -hmm. to treat it almost as a as a gatekeeper so that you know they let you in and you can start building that one-to-one -one relationship whereas if it's you know slightly lower value and you you just want to know straight off the bat whether some somebody's going to be interested then that's fine to go down that route so it is completely tailored to to what you're trying to what you're trying to sell got it and do you guys have any stats or data you can share so if i'm going to start this by myself i know you, i think your guys's campaign you you mentioned uh, a thousand messages or, or contacts per month let's just use that as a round number what can i expect as a number for say you know connection rate and maybe leads um, from what you've seen just kind of a generic so that i know i'm doing it right or maybe you know close to what you guys can offer <clears throat> so as a minimum you should be getting a as a minimum a 30 percent acceptance rate okay. on linkedin um, and then a minimum of a 20% uh, response rate on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, so when we say a thousand messages, we're actually putting around two and a half to 4,000 people through a campaign. We obviously need them to then accept um, and then um, go through that sort of journey for them to actually respond. Um, it's also worth saying I wouldn't, well, definitely don't send more than 100 messages and connections a day. Otherwise, you're going to get blocked pretty quickly on, on LinkedIn. 100 per day. That's your limit, the limit you suggest, yeah. Yeah. As okay. a max. You got, you, max. Yeah, you've got to work up to that as well. Mm. So it. I'd start on, say, 30, next week 50, next week 70, and then get work your way up to 100. If you mm. go 0 to 100, uh, you're going to get blocked. Got it. Okay, cool. Uh, last question on the on the uh, marketing piece, then we can segue into the building international team side. I wanted to ask you guys about podcasting. So I know this is something you guys were pretty involved with as well, helping companies uh, build out their podcast system. Do you guys still think there's value on uh, building a podcast, and uh, where do you see that fit in in the marketing, uh, you know, system? And then any tips for people who are looking to to be successful in launching their own campaign or own podcast? Yeah, so there is definitely value in doing it. Um, without, I mean, there's a, the classic Gary V model where you create one bit of content and then you spin that into 10, 15, 20 other bits of slightly smaller content. That was essentially our model. Um, so we had our own podcast series last year. Was it last year or the year before? It was last year, wasn't it? Last year? Yeah, 2019. Uh, so it feels like a lifetime ago. So much has happened <laughs> since then. <Yeah. laughs> um, so what I would say about launching your own podcast series, um, and you'll be able to vouch for this, Akil, it's incredibly time consuming. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that, that we didn't take into account, so we did it as a, effectively as a bit of promo for our, for our business. It was called Social Chaps. And the theme was to talk to interesting people about various different things in their life. So it was pretty broad. We spoke to authors. We spoke to um, ex-military people. We spoke to TV personalities spoke to a you know young business people so it's pretty pretty broad and pretty wide um and one thing that takes up an awful lot of time is the is the research you know mm. you've got to research these people as you do akil to understand mm. what they do what their background is what their interests are to be able to call, hold a conversation with them for 30 45 minutes maybe even an hour yeah it takes up a lot of time on mm. the back of that you've then got to come up with all the questions and try and concentrate on the interview 
and read the questions, figure out what's going up next. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes in goes into getting a getting a podcast out there. That's not even taken into consideration the you know the production and and putting it live on on all the various different platforms. Mm-hmm. That being said, it is still an unbelievably cheap way of producing your own content, particularly if you can spin that into a minimum of ten other bits of bits of content. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can get little snippets um, from the from the podcast and start adding value as well, hugely beneficial. Um, so my advice to anybody thinking about it, if it's on your roadmap and you're thinking about it, then then do it. The beautiful thing about where we are today in the post-COVID world is um, it's a beautiful excuse to do it online and do it through Zoom or Google Hangouts or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which we which we weren't doing. We were doing everything in the flesh, which obviously takes up an awful lot more time. Um, but yeah, there's there's a there's more upsides than there are downsides. Got it. And you guys, are you guys still running that social Chapman uh, podcast, or did you guys stop that? Too time consuming. <laughs> yeah. We we say it every month we're like we should start the podcast again, but um, <laughs> then finding time to actually do it uh, at the moment, just because we're scaling so fast, it's um, it's tough to find the time. Of course, understand that. Cool. Um, so talking about international teams, building your own team. Um, I believe with your, I'm, I'm assuming from your first IT consultancy, that was probably a local team. Uh, and now you've kind of moved to an international team. You said remotely from, they're all remote as well, right? In the US and Europe. Yep. Um, what are the main benefits and challenges you've seen when building, building international versus local? Yeah, so um, first thing I'd mention is we are by no means any experts in building international teams. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the complete opposites. We are, we were sort of, partly pushed into it by by covid we had an office um in in the uk in london and also locally in bournemouth which is which is where we're from mm-hmm. on the south coast in in england so we were very much pushed into it but having said that the the productivity and the people we've been able to recruit because of adopting a, a remote model or a fully remote model mm-hmm. has been absolutely fantastic um we've we are all more productive that you know everybody's happy because they can essentially work from wherever they want in the world mm-hmm. um we've got one of our account managers they've just flown out to to italy to renovate a family member's house um don flew to madrid last week because he got fed up of of the uk <laughs> uh, we've got another team member flying out to the south of south of spain in a month's time so it gives you that wonderful flexibility as a as a person working within a remote company. Right. For us, as long as the as long as the work's delivered, I genuinely don't care where you are in the world. As long as you can work within our time zone, within the time zone that you're meant to be in, and you can deliver the work, I don't care. Um, from a sales perspective, we've got people in the UK and also out on the east and the west coast of of the US. Mm-hmm. Managing the time zones has been it's it's not horrendous, but it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. But you make it work, you know. So we're having calls late on in our day and early on, just as we are now, early on in the day on the west coast. Um, and you make the monthly meetings super engaging. So one of the things that we're we've just started to adopt um, is to make the monthly meeting as entertaining as possible, so that as an outsider, you would genuinely pay to to watch or be involved super because cool. there's because there's so much story involved. It's funny. It's super engaging. You know, there's genuinely things happening, and you can learn something from it as well. We're not talking about an all-day event. It's literally an hour 
but the idea is everybody does everybody hosts has an opportunity to host it so dom and i will do the first couple then we'll delegate to the team it can it's their slant on what they have done and what they are doing within that uh, within social chaps and also they'll deliver all the reports as well it gets everybody involved um and also it's their their opportunity to tell their their story so they it makes them feel not only super engaged with social chaps gives them an element of responsibility as well um just engages the the whole team so um there's that's just some of the stuff that we are that we're doing we are also completely open to to new ideas so mm -hmm. if anybody's listening and is super experienced in building remote teams mm -hmm. um and how to get everybody fully engaged then we're all is that's pretty cool yeah we've been a remote team since 2015. I mean, since I've been kind of working the space of you know all the companies that we manage or acquire, uh, even if they if they have a, an office, we then move them to be remote. Like you said, you just you're able to find much better you know talent um, when you're hiring across the country or or the world. Um, I guess one challenge I've seen is uh, maybe you can speak to it is when you're looking to build something new. It's a little difficult when you know you're doing it over just a one hour call versus you're you're right there in person and you can move a lot quicker, which which I find. Um, versus when you have a process. So I think if you already have a process, you have a system, you know it works and you have someone come in and kind of take over um, you know, the, the role of what needs to be done, I think it's a little bit easier. Um, but I, I don't know, what's your guys' thoughts on you know, how you guys can, you know, do you have any strategies or systems you've uh, used to overcome these differences um, or any other challenges? I think, um, I mean, in terms of building out new products, we haven't done that since lockdown. I'm currently doing one at the moment, but... Um, it's usually just me and potentially it's just me and L doing that. So it's not too complex. I think the, the one thing which um, is going to get tougher as we continue to scale remotely is the training side of stuff um, and getting that training, you know, getting everyone trained up quickly remotely. Um, video calls can be time consuming. Also sort of you sort of lose interest pretty quickly at times. Um, so I think that's one area we're really trying to focus on. And what we're doing is building a lot of um, internal guides and processes. We've just uh, launched an intranet, like an internal internet, um, where people can just go and find everything themselves instead of scrapping around Slack, trying to find you know, certain bits of information. So that's what we're sort of focusing on in terms of keeping everyone in the loop um, and being as transparent as possible, I think is also key to um, being remote. Makes sense. And that's, that's, that's one of the things as well is, um, you know, everybody is on that intranet. One of the first things that you can go and see is the company goals um, and what we're all working, what we're all working towards. And it's, it's making sure that everybody is, is fully bought into, you know, what we are trying to deliver as an organization. Mm. by giving them some level of responsibility and some level of ownership over an element of that goal. Again, it just brings them even deeper in, even deeper into what we're trying to do. Got it. Yeah, I, I suggest if you guys are interested or anybody in our audience, um, check out uh, the interview I had with Gary Swart. He was the former CEO of Upworks. Uh, he has a, an interview called uh, The Future of Work. It's really, really great guy. I'd recommend checking that out. Um, is there any tools that you guys suggest, uh, maybe you know, Slack, Trello or any others, you know, maybe top five that you'd suggest for our audience to check out to help them uh, with remote work, remote teams? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the two key ones that we use to, well, three, including HubSpot, is HubSpot, 
um, Slack and Asana. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what pulls all that together is Zapier. I'm sure you've heard of Zapier as well. Mm-hmm. So um, with those sort of four tools, you can automate and keep on top of and track everything that you need to be doing. Um, you know, there's not much more you need. If you've got Google or G Suite as well, you've got access to Google Docs, Google Slides. That's all collaborative as well. Um, I think those five do a good job of getting you to where you need to be remotely. Awesome. Uh, last question: What's any favorite book you guys suggest to our audience to to check out, whether it's for you know building remote teams or for for lead generation? Not so not so much um, lead generation, but the book that. Dom and I are actually both reading at the moment. This is by pure coincidence. Mm-hmm. So I walked into his house the other day and I was like, did I tell you to read that book? He was like, no, did I not <laughs> tell you to read? So we're both reading the same book at the same time. Um, yeah. But it's called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. Mm. Yeah. Um, pretty well known. But the idea, it's, it's all around time management and how to be you know, super productive with your day, which as a, as a founder of a business, which is growing pretty rapidly, um, you need to learn <laughs> to be really productive fast. I, I'm not the most organized. Um, so it's something that I am, I'm having to learn on my, literally on, on my feet. But the idea behind it, if, if people haven't read it, then I definitely urge you to go and read it. It's if the worst thing every morning you were to eat a frog, that would be the worst thing of your day. So the idea is to get the, the shittest task out of the way first thing in the morning so that you can then focus on all of the other good stuff throughout the rest of the day. So that would be my my number one book to read for any founder or anybody within the, the SaaS space. Go and read that book. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good book. I've, I've read that a couple of years ago. Um, how can our audience get in touch with you and uh, learn more about what you guys are doing or, or get started with a campaign maybe for their own business? Yeah, cool. Um, so obviously, Dom and I are, are both on LinkedIn. Um, they can go head over to our, to our website, which is socialchaps.co. Um, there's a little engaging video uh, of me at the start of lockdown urging everybody to come and come and speak to us um, or you can reach us at Elliot at socialchaps.co or Dom at, at socialchaps.co Awesome, thank you Elliot, thank you Dom anything you guys want to add before we wrap this up? Not from me Dom, anything from you? All good, all good for me as well All, right. all good. Just a, a big thank you for, uh, for inviting us on um it's been uh, it's been really really good to uh, to talk shop so thank you very much no thank you guys thank you cheers, cheers. see you later bye bye thank you all for joining us on today's episode don't forget to like subscribe and leave a comment on itunes or spotify if you'd like to learn more about entrepreneurship make sure to check out our school of startups videos on youtube as well until then see you guys on the next episode